0: This weekend, during our annual congregational meeting, as we look into God's Word, I want to remind you that if you're going to be blessed by God's Word, you have to apply it, and if you're going to apply it, you have to first understand it. Now, there are two ways we can come to a better understanding of God's Word. One is by having it explained to us. Another is by having it modeled for us by somebody who's literally living it before us. And usually, I explain God's truth in word, but today I want to do it by the way of story, the story of a little man in a black coat. Now, the two scriptures that his life exegeted are Psalm 127, verse 1, and Zechariah 4, 6. Let me read them for you. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, Who built it? Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Today I want to consider how the little man in the black coat brought both of those truths to life. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, by your spirit, Enable me to retell a wonderful story and to do it appropriately and to do it prophetically. Guide my words that I would include what you want included and exclude what you want excluded because we're here to hear from you. And Father, I pray that your spirit would open our understanding so that each one of us might pull from this story that truth that we need to understand and apply if we're going to take our next step of growth in grace. And as always, we pray these things with confidence because of who you are, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today through story, may the Lord be with you. On more than one occasion, I've heard it suggested That a Christian ministry, whether it's a local congregation or an international missionary outreach, a Christian ministry is really nothing more than the ever-lengthening shadow of a man or woman. The man or the woman that we know as the founder of that ministry. And while that's not always true, in most cases, that is the case. Because every movement of God has to be erected upon a foundation. And before you can erect a movement upon God's chosen foundation, somebody has to discern what that foundation is to be. In many respects, the man or woman who founds a movement is the person who found the foundation that God intended, began to build upon that foundation, and then entrusted it to others. You might say founders are the first responders to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, the manner in which a founder begins to build upon the foundation that God intended has profound implications for the movement for generations to come. Because the way the founder goes about obeying God literally establishes the spiritual DNA of that movement. You're all familiar with DNA in the physical realm and the way it determines many things about your body and your appearance and your health. Well, in similar fashion, movements of God have a spiritual DNA that shape them. And that DNA is shaped by the choices and the lifestyle and the decisions of the founder. And once the DNA is established, it shapes the way things are done and why they are done that way. Now, this ministry, this movement, known to us as ACAC, is in many respects the ever-lengthening shadow of two men. The first, a man by the name of A.B. Simpson. He was the founder of our parent organization, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. The Christian and Missionary Alliance is hardly a household name. There are only about a half million people worshiping in alliance churches across America, but there are six and a half million worshiping in alliance churches around the world. Why? Because God raised us up to take the gospel to unreached people groups and to plant His church where people did not know the name of Jesus. And that's what we've been doing for many, many decades. The second person who established this movement was the first pastor of this particular ministry. And it's his story I want to recount today, the story of the little man in the black coat. 33 years ago, after I had accepted God's call to be the seventh pastor of this congregation, God impressed upon me how privileged I was, because I was stepping into the pastorate of a church that had a well-established history of making an impact for the glory of God, not just in its city, but around the world. But God also impressed upon me that there were challenges ahead. The church had fallen on hard times, and many were forecasting its demise and its end, especially in its urban location. And it was then that God did something that reminded me if I would trust Him Great things were ahead. It was my first day in my new office. And even though I didn't have a coat to hang up, it was a summer day, I was curious as to what was in the closet of my new office. So I I opened the door of the closet and looked around. There wasn't much there except for a coat. And having a firm grasp of the obvious, I realized this is an old it was made out of heavy black wool. The lining had begun to deteriorate. The style of tailoring was from a bygone era, and it was a formal coat with tails. Now, I grew up with leisure suits. God help us, we survived that. But, but, but not with tails. So I knew this was likely an art artifact from the 18th century, and indeed it was. Well, being a curious sort, I did what you probably would do. I thought, I wonder if it'll fit me. <laughs> so, so I went to put it on, and I got my arms in the sleeves, and then I realized, no, that's as far as this journey's going. I, I realized if I tried to get it over my shoulders, I was going to tear out the seams. And then I realized it had been worn by a man who was much smaller than me in physical Stature. not in spiritual stature, but in physical stature. And as I was hanging it back up in the closet, I noticed on the inside of the lapel there was a little piece of paper attached with a safety pin, and it identified it as the preaching coat of the founding pastor of this church. Now, for me, that was like an Elijah-Elisha moment. I felt that I was literally holding in my hands the mantle of a Spirit-filled man who started something that has endured well beyond a century. And I felt like God was reminding me the same provision that had been given to Him had also been made available to me. God had called me to carry on the work started by the little man in the black coat. Now, the little man in the black coat had discovered the power of Jesus firsthand. At a time when he was deathly ill, he learned about that other man, A.B. Simpson's healing home. It was a home that Simpson had established just outside New York City where followers of Jesus who were afflicted in their health could come and study what Scripture says about Jesus, our healer, and be prayed for and pray themselves. Well, in his need, the little man in the black coat went to Simpson's healing home, and he spent several weeks there. And at the end of those weeks, as he sought Jesus, Jesus miraculously and instantly healed him. He returned to Hartford, Connecticut, where he worked in the insurance industry like most people in Hartford, Connecticut. But one day, the Spirit of God impressed upon him that he was to leave Hartford and accept an assignment with his company that would bring him to live in Pittsburgh. So he accepted the assignment, but as he got off the train here in Pittsburgh, the Spirit spoke to him in a rather unusual way. And the Spirit said, you came here to work in the insurance industry, but I brought you here to run a rescue mission. Well, that's a big career shift. And and, and what do you do with that? Well, if God's in it, you don't have to do anything with it. God will take care of the details. And so it was that three months later, as he's going about his business in the insurance industry, wondering what that was all about, two women approached him. They had started the very first Christian rescue mission in the city of Pittsburgh. And God had impressed upon them that they needed a man to run that ministry because most of their clients were men, and many of them were rather rough around the edges. And so these two women had found the work a bit unsafe and intimidating. So, as God impressed upon them, they needed a man. So, they began to ask around town, and somebody gave them the little man's name, and so they began to pray about him, and God confirmed to both of them he was the one. So, they came and told him, you're the one. Now, at that point, he didn't have to do a lot of praying. When God puts it together like that, you're to do this, and now here's the opportunity. All you do is say yes and move on. So he accepted the post and began to lead the first Christian rescue mission in our city. Well, sometimes later, his friend A.B. Simpson came to Pittsburgh because the movement God used him to establish was spreading across the United States, especially the eastern seaboard, but it had not been established in Pittsburgh. So Simpson came by invitation, and he did what he always did. He preached and he cast vision for God's church to fulfill the Great Commission, to take the good news of Jesus to people groups around the world who had not heard it. Well, that vision was God's vision, and it resonated with many Pittsburgh hearts, and soon there was a host of people who said, let's establish a branch of the Alliance here in Pittsburgh. So they agreed to do that, but they knew they would need a leader. And at that point, Simpson looked at his old friend, the little man in the black coat, and he called him forward and he said, I'm appointing you to superintend the work of the Spirit here in the city of Pittsburgh. And the little man responded in a very appropriate way. He said, Dr. Simpson, with all due respect... I am not worthy, I am not capable of superintending the Spirit's work. But if the Holy Spirit will superintend the work, I'd be glad to run errands for him. (laughs) Now, as they say down south, that dog will hunt. In that simple statement, the little man in the black coat established the spiritual DNA of what we know now as ACAC. God intended us to be a collection of people who simply run errands for the Holy Spirit. We don't ask the Holy Spirit to run errands for us. Big difference. We run errands for the Holy Spirit. That DNA explains why after 120-some years, we're still in our north side location. Because back in the 70s, Christian churches fled America's cities in droves. Somebody wrote about it. and They entitled their book, The Suburban Flight of the American Church. And it was a tragic, tragic reality. We looked recently at a map of all the churches that were once on the north side of Pittsburgh. Many times there were literally two or three in every single block. Today, virtually all of them are gone and their buildings closed. It was a part of that exodus, an exodus to suburban locations where land was readily available, where the perception of safety was inviting, where the economies of congregants would underwrite ministry. But God led the little man in the black coat to establish a movement on the north side of Pittsburgh. And when he did, God knew what was coming. And as our leadership sought the heart of the Holy Spirit he confirmed again, I planted this church here because I want this church here. Let others run to the burbs. Stay here, because as God said to Jonah, should I not have compassion on the great city and all of the broken people in the city? And that same Holy Spirit began to birth a partnership between suburban believers who had a heart for the city that outweighed convenience and urban believers who knew the city and knew its needs and had relationships. And God began to birth a union of Caucasian believers and African-American believers and Hispanic believers and believers of various Asian backgrounds in a city that to this day is still recognized as a hotbed of bigotry a very racialized city, one of the worst in the United States, by record. God began to birth something that is the only antidote to black lives matter, all lives matter, blue lives matter, red lives matter, green lives matter. God began to birth something that says there are solutions But you'll only find them in God. You won't find them in Washington. And God began to create a community that says, the Christ who unites us is bigger than any nonsense that would divide us. Now, what God has called us to do is hard work. It's hard work. But you see, there's nothing in the Scriptures that says the Spirit's way will be easy. It says it will be right. It will be right. And one thing the little man in the black coat taught us, he taught us that people who run errands for the Holy Spirit don't run from difficulty. They run to it. I I like that. Advertisement for one of the branches of our armed forces that shows our troops rushing headlong towards a horizon where you can see explosions and death while the residents of that area are fleeing toward the camera. Have you seen that one? Women and children and men fleeing toward the camera for safety while our young men and women run toward the danger. I like that because that is a picture of the people of God. We are not spineless Sunday-only people practicing a hothouse religion that could never exist anywhere outside of a sanctuary's walls. We are the armies of the living God called to run to the battle, to the conflict, into the fray, not from it, because that's where you go if you're following Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't run from the spiritual battles. He runs into them. And if you're running from them, you aren't following him. So because of the lengthening shadow of the little man in the black coat, The church he started today is a vibrant, regional congregation impacting lives in three states, and all of the hills, and across the street. Despite the space limitations of a location like this, we're still able to touch thousands of lives every week. Despite the city of ethnic bigotry that we're located in, we have become a model and beacon of diversity. Despite the economic challenges many of our members live with, we give over a million dollars a year to missions outside of Pittsburgh and support hundreds that God has raised up and sent out from this place. We are living in the midst of a miracle that can only be explained as the work of the Holy Spirit and people who run errands for the Spirit. But you see, God never blesses us so that we can hoard our blessings. They're never just for us. I preached last week, it's not all about us. And the same thing is true for blessing as is true for forgiveness. So several years ago, the Holy Spirit revealed the next installment of this lengthening shadow. You know it if you've been with us as Expanded Influence, a nine-point strategic initiative to follow the Holy Spirit. God wants us to share what He's taught us. He wants us to share what He's taught us about running errands, about renewal, about reconciliation, about reliance on the Spirit. He wants us to share it with urban churches in diverse neighborhoods. He wants us to share it with any church that can transfer the concepts. And He's been confirming that calling with miracles, that I like to say if, if they aren't up in the Red Sea category, they're in whatever category comes next. Like the miracle of the parking garage, that Allegheny Health Network is going to build on our land, on their dime, to the tune of 18 to 19 million dollars, letting us have full use of it nights and weekends. I like stuff like that. And that's just one way God is confirming. And by the way, after 40 years or so, we'll actually own the garage, but that'll be the next pastor's issue. I'll be in glory and I ain't coming back. Or I'll be somewhere else confirming everybody's suspicions. Who knows? But if we're going to run these errands for the Holy Spirit, if we're going to lengthen the shadow then like that little man in the black coat, we're going to have to allow God to stretch our faith. You see, the faith that got him to Pittsburgh wasn't big enough to take him to be the founder of a ministry that would survive for over a century. He had to allow God to stretch and grow his faith as he moved from insurance salesman to rescue mission operator, to the founder of a movement. And we're going to have to do the same. The faith that brought us here is not great enough to take us where God wants us next. It got us here, but it won't get us there. We're going to have to be willing to allow God to stretch us in our giving, in our praying, in our witnessing, in our involvement, in our passion, in our love. We're going to have to allow God to stretch us in bold dependence upon the Holy Spirit. We're going to embrace, have to embrace sacrifices and changes that are not easy, that are not comfortable. But God never said, follow me and it will be easy and it will be comfortable. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And if you aren't fishing for men, you aren't following and he's calling us to engage in a spiritual battle because the devil never gives up his holdings without a fight. I talked several weeks ago about our need to reach out to the growing number of prostitutes here in the north side. And about eight of you are stepping forward, and God's raising up people for how we can respond. But if you think we can step into prostitution, step into crack addiction, step into heroin addiction, step into the bigotry that plagues the city of Pittsburgh, step into violence, step into apathy, step into materialism, step into all the other idolatries that plague the American church without a battle, honey, I don't know what you're smoking, but you need to get a new. New drug. <clears throat> it's got to be an intense battle. These past two years since God revealed expanded influence, I have literally looked into the face of hell. It hasn't been physical, hasn't been financial, it's just been spiritual, it's been oppressive, it's there every day, all the time, and I just keep saying, devil, you never will wise up, will you? You always overplay your hand. You always confirm God's about to move because you ratchet up the heat. And he's been ratcheting up the heat on me, but I'm all right. God's word is asbestos. Let the devil ratchet up the heat. But but he's got to ratchet up the heat on you. I've watched all kinds of things unfolding in the lives of our senior staff physical challenges, disease, setbacks, family issues. That's not coincidental. Anytime God's people say we will arise and follow, the devil says, I will arise and we'll see about that. So this will not be the fe- for the faint of heart. If you're looking for a churchette that preaches sermonettes to Christianettes, this, this, this will not be the place for you. If you're looking for a place that will tell you, if you just love Jesus, you'll have a BMW and a nice car, this is not the place for you. That place is the loony bin. It's not the church. So come January, we're going to be launching what we're calling a REACH initiative. We're simply going to be calling everybody who's a part of this congregation to seek God and ask Him, what do I need to do, Lord, for ACAC to reach these goals and lengthen the shadow? And we're calling it reach because if we're going to reach the goals God has set before us, each of us has to reach our potential in Christ. We have to reach our potential in all those areas I mentioned earlier. But if you'll do that, Friends, we have the chance to invest our lives in great things rather than waste our lives in trivial things. I don't want my tombstone to say he wasted his life in trivia. I want it to say he invested his life in the eternal. So here's the proverbial bottom line can God count on you to be your own unique version of the little man in the black coat? Are you willing to accept his mantle just as Elisha accepted Elijah's mantle and then did exactly twice as many miracles? Because whether you realize it or not, Elisha asked for a double portion Of Elijah's anointing and the narrative tells us he did exactly twice as many miracles. Are you willing to ask for an anointing and all that goes with it? If enough of us will answer yes, then our future celebrations of God's work will be greater than anything we have known. See, In a number of years, five years, whatever, I'll be stepping to the side and passing the baton to somebody else. And when I do, I want to hand the baton of a spirit movement of people running errands for God whose future is brighter than anything in its past. And whatever I'm doing in retirement other than drooling on myself... I want to sit and cheer my successor and say, go for it, man. Go for it. Take it twice as far as I got it, but go for it. That little man in the black coat had a name, E.D. Whiteside. We named this building after him, but that was after he was long gone and he could care less. (laughs) He was affectionately known as the praying man of Pittsburgh. At his graduation to glory, the church he started couldn't hold those who wanted to honor him in death, so they had to rent Carnegie Hall, and thousands of Pittsburghers lined up around the block to pay their respects to a man who made this city different simply because he knew how to run errands for the Holy Spirit. Amen. You and I can do the same. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to pick up the baton that was entrusted to us, to take the mantle of that coat that has been entrusted to us, and in our generation and generations to come, continue to lengthen the shadow, because ultimately, Lord, we're not lengthening the shadow of the little man in the black coat. We're lengthening the shadow of the one who took upon himself the coat of human flesh, suffered, died, rose again, who one day is coming in great power when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So, Lord, help us to rise to the moment. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.